This is Difference Makers, and I'm your host, Adam Van Brummer. On this episode, we talk to the woman behind the wine and the food of a Savannah Mainstay event, the Savannah Food and Wine Festival. The festival's executive director, Jan Gurley, is our guest. The Difference Makers podcast is brought to you by an organization making a major difference in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. another episode of Difference Makers, where we interview Savannah area community leaders about what they do, how they do it, and why. Difference Makers hail from several sectors, including commerce, government, education, arts and culture, and philanthropy. Odds are you recognize the names or at least organizations that these Difference Makers represent. This podcast is a chance to dive a little deeper into each of these guests. Our latest Difference Maker is Jan Gorley the mother of the Savannah Food and Wine Festival. The seventh annual event runs from November 4th through November the 10th. The festival is presented by the Savannah Tourism Leadership Council and is an annual celebration for the members of the local hospitality industry group. But it all started with Jan Gorley, the one-time organizer of a similar event on Hilton Head and the potential that she saw in starting and growing a culinary experience on this side of the river. Maker today is Jan Gorley, who is the co-founder and the director of the Savannah Food and Wine Festival, which is starting here shortly, November the 4th, and stretches through November the 10th. Jan, thank you for coming in. It's good to see you. Thank you for having me. It's an exciting time. My stomach is, it's it's late morning. <laughs> My stomach is starting to rumble, but we'll see if we can't hold that off for a little bit as we talk a lot about food. But before we dive into the festival itself, as always here on The Difference Maker, we like to get to know The Difference Maker a little bit. And when Jan came in here and we started talking bio, she mentioned she was from New Orleans. And when you hear New Orleans, you think of food. Can you talk about growing up in New Orleans and in that atmosphere and, and how that maybe developed your love of, of culinary? Yeah, absolutely. So um, thankfully, I lost that New Orleans accent. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> New Orleans is truly a melting pot. So I, I at a very early age, um, not being Cajun, being Irish, um, got really the um, the the culture embedded in me because my grandmothers would cook gumbo and you know a shrimp creole and make all of the authentic uh, Louisiana New Orleans dishes and. Um, you know, having seafood readily available every single day, um, being on Lake Pontchartrain, having, you know, um, cousins that had camps and going fishing just, you know, on an afternoon. So those kinds of things, um, you know, that, that was just normal for me. Um, and so when I moved to Atlanta in, well, gosh, what year was that? 1980? Is that right? No. Yeah, 1980, um, and and not having water. Yeah, you know, I was I was totally totally frustrated. But now I'm back in the low country. Back in the coast. <laughs> so, beignets, muffalettas. Yeah, huh? beignet, muffalada. Muffalada. See, that's my uh, Midwestern. You said New Orleans, right? Though pronunciation of it. But uh, <laughs> what what was what was your favorite? Oh, muffaladas, definitely, yeah. yeah, and crawfish. I mean, you know, having crawfish at 98 cents a pound, and um, honestly, when I was in high school, we would skip out for lunch and go to this little seafood place near my high school and go grab crawfish and, and at lunch, and it was like, oh, my goodness, go back to school with crawfish breath. <laughs> <laughs> you were sucking the heads at, uh, <laughs> at lunchtime and going back to school, huh? Oof, I 
just imagine. Your father was a police captain in New Orleans, correct? My grandfather was a a police captain on Bourbon Street. And, you know, the fact that we could go to Arnaud's and Antoine's and some of New Orleans, you know, most famous restaurants um, and be treated like royalty. You know, I I expected food to be like that everywhere. (laughs) So you go to Atlanta and you weren't, you didn't go there to, to cook or become a sommelier. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, yeah. You went there for advertising. I went there for yeah. advertising. So it was kind of a, a roundabout route to, to food and wine. Can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah, so, um, you know, and it's interesting because as I've gotten to know some of my peers in this industry, so many of them come that route via marketing. So um, I was fortunate enough to graduate from Georgia State with a BFA in graphic design and advertising. Uh, Took a lot of marketing classes, thankfully, um, and went and studied uh, eventually at uh, Kennesaw State University for my master's for a few years. I never finished it. But anyway, long story short, uh, got hired by a company that uh, hired me as an in-house agency, and um, they went out of business. Um, what happened was, after uh, the company went under, I started picking up some freelance work from uh, a, a developer that was a friend of my husband at the time, and um, they also did all the development for a major home builder in in Atlanta, and it turned out that account which had been Babbitt and Ryman's account, was Cone Communities, and it kind of fell into my lap. Mm -hmm. So I had a $2 million ad account um, when I was 23 years old, just kind of fall into my lap, and had to learn how to run an ad agency really quickly. Mm -hmm. So I want to back up on you because the the in-house you did was with a mini storage company. Yeah. (laughs) What are some of the challenges of marketing for for many stories, you just you basically just throw up a building and throw up a billboard, right? So they were actually the door manufacturers. That's oh, so the funny. door manufacturers. So they it, so was, it was more B two B. Definitely all B two B. Yeah, but what's, which was great though. It still gave me an entree into placing media and you know working on. I was pretty much the person that wore all the hats. I mm-hmm. I did the PR. You know, I created the ads. I placed the ads. Mm-hmm. Um, proved to be extremely valuable later right, on. Right. So you get into doing a lot of marketing for residential real estate at a time in a city where residential real estate is... is not happening, no. Well, not happening or going was, like it crazy? It was happening right. big time. Yeah, yeah. We, were, we at one time, I think my agency had 16 people. Um, when 2008 rolled around mm-hmm. and uh, Cousins Residential Properties were our biggest client at that time uh, and essentially advertising dollars totally went away we knew we had to either find some other clients really quickly or relocate and try and dig ourselves out and create some new opportunities Mm -hmm. and that led you to Hilton Head that led us to Hilton Head because that's where our second home was and um, you know, we, we always thought, well, we want to be in a place where we, w- we want to move to a place where we wouldn't mind retiring. Right. So, um, and that's kind of how that happened. Take us back to that crash when a good portion of your business is, is real estate business and everybody, it all dries up. How much are you as the advertiser scrambling a little bit or is the mindset of we've just got to go ahead and, and shift and and find a different way to to do what we do well. 
Well, you know, I really had, <laughs> my husband would laugh because he's uh, my business partner and also um, handles all of our web design work and our operations. But I, I basically said, you know, we're going to make a move. I'm throwing my entire portfolio away. I don't want to wow. ever see advertising again. And so he's a smart man. So he saved <laughs> some of the stuff. Uh-huh. and didn't throw it away uh-huh. and hid it on me in a storage unit. And I'm really thankful he did because then that led to picking up some more business freelance in Hilton Head just, you know, by happenstance. Yeah, because you threw um, out the client list too then. Yeah. It wasn't like you were doing your oh, Atlanta marketing no, and advertising No, I had pretty Hilton much Head. decided I was going to go, you know, a different path. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, so it kind of fell into our laps again, um, the, um, the Weston Hilton Head Island Resort and Spa. Uh, we were handling all their advertising and PR. That led to you know a whole bunch of restaurants and different kinds of things, and also the Hilton Head Island Wine and Food Festival yeah. uh, needed some and help. Boys and Girls Club was Boys in there and girls too, Club right? Too. Which, which kind of an interesting because then you get to know everybody in town kind of by osmosis. Yeah, and it, you know, yeah, you think back, and I and I think that maybe there was a plan there, but you know, there really wasn't. But had a great entree into not only you know. Um, South Carolina, low country, but also Savannah because they, it's the media market, right? So yeah. got to know a lot of people really quickly, right. um, fortunately, and um, you know took on the uh, responsibilities of the advertising and marketing and managing the the Hilton Head Festival for a right. couple of years and had an idea for Savannah Food and Wine. And, and the, managing the Hilton Head, or, or you start out as the 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 agency to help market, right? the Hilton Head Festival, and that's from knowing Weston, right. other restaurants exactly. in town. What prompted them to ask you to, to say, okay, we know you like to handle the marketing side. We want you to handle the operations side, too. What prompted that, and what was your initial reaction? Well, probably your question about, you know, um, we were in survival mode then. We were still mm-hmm. trying to come out of, um, you know, uh, basically having no income in 2009, mm-hmm. 2010, and making a move. So, you know, I, I was willing to to – it worked cheap, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that makes a difference, right? Yeah. <laughs> so where are you pulling the expertise? Are you kind of making it up as you go? Or are you studying best practices? Where are you looking for expertise to operate, to manage? FS? Even back before I, I was managing anything, um, you know, I was a big proponent. I uh, had attended New Orleans Wine and Food Experience before. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I attended New York City Food and Wine, Wine and Food mm-hmm. Festival before. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's just, it's kind of a thing that I, I did anyway. Okay. So, so, so you had a little bit of a background. And, yeah. And yeah. And knew that, um, you know, that um, if if I got to create the content for a festival, which I'm lucky enough to do that now, mm-hmm. that I wanted it to be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe it's, you know, the Mardi Gras mentality that I grew up with. But I knew that it needed to be fun to stand mm-hmm. out amongst, you know, all the rest that are out there. Right. Let's talk about starting in Savannah. Uh, and before we, we get to the, the roots of that, so uh, your first experience is managing one in Hilton Head, been, which had been around for a long time. Now you're starting one from scratch, which is is easier i guess creating your own is at least more fun if not easier right it was definitely easier and more fun and you know i think 
uh, Michael Owens with TLC, our partner, uh, I think he has a you know a standing joke where we just survived on uh, Red Bull and coffee for probably mm-hmm. six months. But no, it's true. We got you know we got so much done because we were so motivated. We wanted to go big or go home, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and we decided that we um, I had uh, created actually before I even got to meet Michael. Um, I had a draft of a logo and a, an agenda, a schedule of what I wanted to do. And you know, I think we were talking about this, Adam, that, you know, most of it's actually still our signature events. Right. You know, so it's kind of neat to see that happen and not necessarily to have to deal with a board mm-hmm. uh, that has to dictate, you know, when we have to vote on that. Mm-hmm. Um, we pretty much, we, Michael Gordon and I make the decisions on the festival. And uh, of course, he has to have his board approve anything regarding TLC. Right. But when it comes to the festival, it's pretty much my show. So it's kind of cool. Right. And the interesting part is, and we don't want to throw him under the bus, but you went somewhere else first and got rejected, right? <laughs> Sort of. <laughs> okay. He actually, what I'm referring to is, is Jan got connected over here through the Weston and Hilton Head. And, of course, the connected connection to Weston and Hilton Head is the Weston here. She talked to, to Morris Spadoni, who does such a great job over at the Savannah Harbor Resort. And he was a little hesitant in pointing you toward Michael I think and some too, others. I right? he was also, you know, and, and he always says he could kick himself for, for not having it as a signature event for the Weston. But <laughs> he, too, was also the chairman of the TLC at that time uh, okay. and thought that this could be much bigger for much the bigger. city. Mm-hmm. And actually, in you know, an altruistic kind of said, you know, it needs to be something bigger for every hotel and resort in this, this city and restaurant. So I kudos to him. You know, yeah. he, he basically had the vision to see that when I didn't, I was thinking smaller, Small. but big, you know, <laughs> eventually big, right. but it turned out really big. The Difference Makers podcast is a great way to learn about Savannah and those who make the city tick. But there's a catch, of course, the two-week wait between episodes. Keep up with all that's going on in our town on a more regular basis by signing up for our free newsletters. We deliver an opinion page newsletter daily, and our news team does likewise. And for the foodies and Georgia Southern fans among the audience, weekly newsletters on those topics are available as well. Visit savannahnow.com newsletters now to get those newsletters delivered straight to your email inbox. Again, that's savannahnow.com newsletters. April 2013. Yeah. And you're putting it on in November, November of yeah. 2013. Yeah. That had to be a scramble. It was. And I think, you know, um, we always say that it would have been a heck of a lot easier to do it when, you know, Savannah's at her beauty, you know, in May or in October, but that's not when the market needs the lift. Yeah. So, you know, picking an off-peak season, uh, working with the hospitality partners in Visit Savannah, you know, kind of narrowing in on what was the best week. Uh, obviously, marathon first week, that mm-hmm. second week in November is our sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's turned in, you know, we've created a little monster. You know, everybody's, it's a busy week now. It's a right. busy month. So um, it's it's exciting to see the impact that the festival has actually not only hopefully made in the culinary community in seven years, but also um, the lift that we've given all of the hotel partners 
mm-hmm. and the restaurants because people that come to this festival are you know well, well educated, affluent, and they want to spend money. They want to mm-hmm. try the restaurants. They want to go to the gray and try Michelle. They want to go mm-hmm. to the new fat radish and try that. So mm-hmm. they've got the dollars, the you know, the, to spend. And, and we've done a lot of research um, that they are spending. Mm-hmm. So we're going to drill down on the Savannah Food and Wine Festival here in a second, but let's close the loop a little bit. Uh, this has been so successful that you've been able to take this model and go elsewhere. Can you kind of talk about some of the other food and wine festivals that you've taken on in recent years? Yeah. Um, so we, we, <laughs> we use the model on a much scale, smaller scale, more <laughs> boutique scale in a lot of instances. In fact, we just did a, uh, a festival called Vibes and Tide, Dubusky Island Vibes and Tides last weekend, and it was more of a boutique event. Freeport so, or Hake no, Point? No, Hake Point. Hake Hake, Point. Presented okay. by Hake Point. Um, it was an unbelievable weekend. We had a great Saturday night gala dinner, mm-hmm. uh, bringing all these wonderful chefs together and celebrating heritage, and it was just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that that was just a kind of a smaller event for 300 people. Okay. Uh, we've taken the model and created Whiskey Wine and Wildlife on Jekyll Island, mm-hmm. which is, a, again, not the most desirable time for us, but it is for the island. It's in early February. Right. You know, um, they they have turned February into a busy month now because of that event. Mm-hmm. So um, that is probably 3,000 people, okay. and it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event, which right. is, you know, perfect. Right. And then actually Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we've grown it one more day. Mm-hmm. And then we also um, manage the Hilton Head Island Seafood Festival, which is uh, another wonderful event in February, late February. And we also created an event at Callaway Gardens called Sip and Savor Spring. Mm-hmm. And that uh, we're going to take a pause on that one in 2020 and come back in 2021. Okay. Um, but we are we are going to launch a uh, barbecue and brews festival Labor Day weekend in Savannah. To Here's repla- the big news. Yeah, right. to replace the uh, Craft Brew Fest Labor Day. So I'm really excited about this because I think the food component, from what I've heard, I never attended the Craft Brew Fest, but uh, Smith Matthews with Southbound, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's going to be a partner in the event along with the West and Savannah. Mm-hmm. So um, they basically, you know, kind of schooled me on that, you know, these are the things that we can really do to make it really unbelievable. And Smith travels to go to all kinds of festivals. I think they just won an award at mm-hmm. the big festival in Denver. So I'm excited. Um, we're putting plans together for that. I'm trying to make it through the next two weeks to right. get through Savannah right. Food and Wine and start working on that and also launching uh, a Jacksonville Food and Wine Festival in May 2021. Wow. Um, that's exciting because it's a time frame there where we don't really necessarily have to fill hotel rooms for anybody. It's right. it's they want the festival. They just want it. Yeah. Yeah, I want to. I want to follow up on the the blues and brews. Yeah, is from talking when the one folded here. I talked to a lot of the craft brewers here in town, and they talked about the the fact that the former craft brew fest had kind of evolved to the point where it was focused on craft brew, but a lot of times the craft brews were made by the by the macro breweries. They've all bought up some of the craft brews. Uh, obviously, partnering with Southbound is we're going to have them in there. I assume that maybe the other oh, yeah. two or three in town are going to be a part of it. Is the focus going to be on the the regional craft breweries, or is that still the idea still kind of evolving? So it's honestly still evolving. You know, the the larger beer companies, no names mentioned, 
actually had the money to put behind festivals sure like this. Did, yeah. But I think we've got the expertise in sponsorship development where I would like it to, to be, and so would Smith, an authentic festival where it's yeah. not just regional, but we can bring in, you know, somebody from Oregon if sure. they want to participate because sure. they've, they've got the best beer in Oregon. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be more of a, a craft focus, right. um, but we definitely will, it's going to be something that I think we'll all be proud of yeah. uh, and not just, you know, know not just big beer names and that kind of thing right. so well, as a beer lover i look forward to that let's shift gears to the savannah food and wine festival and before we talk about the individual events um let's go back to that first one yeah and i know that when it first launched we saw names like robert mandavi we right. saw james beard involved right how was that organization done and who were some of the key players so um we once uh the tlc kind of gave us their approval to move ahead with the festival in april 2013 um, we had a, a fast track to get as much talent involved as we could um you know the planets kind of aligned because hugh atchison was just opening up the florence yep. and we were able to get hugh to participate in the james beard dinner uh, Martha Nesbitt was a uh, an influence in getting Elizabeth Terry mm-hmm. with Elizabeth on 37th yeah. back to do that dinner. Oh, and it was all done town. at Bethesda, yeah. actually, uh, a tent at Bethesda Academy, the first James Beard dinner. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, no, it wasn't. I'm sorry. It was done at the mansion. But we had a Bethesda dinner where um, Elizabeth Terry cooked at. Anyway, long story short, um, Diane Rusikas was instrumental in getting, yeah. with United Distributors, oh, yeah. getting uh, Rob Mondavi. All the wines. Yeah. That's the connection there. Yeah. Important connection. And, it, and it's interesting, Adam, because the dynamic is, you know, once Hugh Atchison's name was tied to it, once Rob Mondavi's name was attached to it, everybody wants in. That's you know, right. they were like, well, who's hit? Who's going to be who's going to be there? Well, yeah. you say those two names. Oh, well, yeah, it's got to be legit. Right. <laughs> so it was really easy that year to attract a lot of attention because everybody knows those names and wanted to be a part of it. So yeah. kind of snowballed. Yeah, and the first year is always the most important year because it's yeah. first impression. Right, mm-hmm. and then we knew that we could not do something small and make a regional impact as far as putting heads in beds if we didn't do something big. Right, and I think the the, the whole idea that bits and pieces of it were downtown, in right. squares, very accessible, very visible, kind of rallied the community around it as well. Because you're talking about heads and beds, but the community right. has really stepped up and supported this event over oh, the years, yeah, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. And we, you know, I think we've done a good job of trying new things every year. Um, this event, we'll talk a little bit more about that. We've got a new event in Pooler. Mm-hmm. So we try to spread the love. You know, we, mm-hmm. we bring it, we try to do things that, um, you know, not are only focused in the historic district, but we, we've done things out of the landings before, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, just to kind of mm-hmm. make That's sure. Bethesda. Yeah, in Bethesda. We are speaking with Jan Gorley of the Savannah Food and Wine Festival on this episode of the Difference Makers podcast. Before we continue our discussion, let's pause and recognize the Difference Makers presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. The team at CETA is pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Whether a business looking to relocate to the Savannah region or an existing business ready to grow and expand, CETA is the centrifuge of a propeller, making the connections, helping propel the business to success. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. Now, back to Jan Gorley. 
got a couple of new events this year, and one is a kickoff event. It's called the Women Creating Savannah's Culinary Cool. It is over at Service Brewing, which is one of my favorite spots in town just for atmosphere and everything else. And our own Amy Condon will be hosting a roundtable discussion. Tell us a little bit about this event. So this is uh, La Dame de Scoffier. we, uh, I'm Amy and I are both uh, founding charter members of um, the Savannah and Coastal Georgia chapter. Mm-hmm. And really, it's taken a while to get us. They, actually, we did an event last year at Savannah Food and Wine. It was a, a, a tastemaker's table, but we really didn't have the 501c3 yet. We were still kind of putting it all this together. Was at the Roundhouse. Yeah, remember right? that? Okay. Yep. And it was really successful. I think actually you, did, you guys did a story on it. Mm-hmm. But Long story short, this is a, an event where we hope to raise some money because it's going to take some of, some fundraising to really do some of the mission-oriented things that we really want to do as a chapter. Mm-hmm. And there are chapters throughout the country that raise hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, on farm-to-table dinners that they do out at wineries and that kind of thing. So this is, this is a scratch, a little scratch on the surface of what we want to do. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of I'm excited about it because we've got some great – you know, chefs, um, Cheryl Day, back in the day bakery, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Miss Sophie actually mm-hmm. is going to be there, Terry Bell. One of our favorites. Yeah, yeah. and um, Kay Heritage with uh, Big Bon, Bon, Big Bon, and Big Bon Bodega. Big bon Bodega. <laughs> right. So, um, some really, and all these ladies are doms, right. and uh, we're going to talk a little, we're going to eat and taste and drink a little bit, and then we're going to have a discussion, uh, talk and taste is what we're calling it, so that Amy will be kind of coming up with some discussion items for us all to talk about, and then Cyria Sandlin with WTOC will be MC. But it'll be, it'll be fun. Again, it's kind of like a potluck dinner with some of Savannah's, you know. That's the kind of potluck dinner <laughs> I want to go to. Tell us about the Doms. What exactly uh, is, is the mission? So the mission is evolving. In fact, we I would probably um, – be hesitant to say because we're all working on that right now we really want to come together on some really goal-oriented things that we can wrap our arms around and so we're we've got a you know we're, we're kind of in that brainstorming session where we're, we're defining what that mission is right now as a chapter though what is the the, the overarching overarching is you know that we want to give back to and inspire uh, females in the community. So, for instance, all of the Savannah Technical College Culinary Institute students that night are going to be female volunteers. Right. Yeah. And mentoring, you know, a lot yeah. of that. Um, I am not a chef, but I can help market. Right. So that's kind of my role. Right. And I think that um, there's always an opportunity for uh, giving back. And, you know, this is Savannah and the coastal Georgia area. So um, Jovan Sage, who is with Sage's Larder, is actually based in Brunswick. Mm -hmm. So um, we're all just kind of just coming together and all very, you know, philanthropic women that want to give back to this community somehow. So that's the opening event. The other new event is the closing event. And that's your first ever out in Pooler. Tell us about Savor the Flavor. So Savor the Flavor is very cool because it's going to be, um, we call it a movable feast. Mm -hmm. So Savannah Quarters is 
is a beautiful community, and they have uh, two model home areas where there, there are three homes and three homes, and then we've got the clubhouse. Um, so everybody will start at the clubhouse with a tasting of, uh, you know, a signature beverage as well as a uh, gourmet bite. Mm. And then we will be trolleyed to the different models uh, within the community, and it'll be so much fun because we'll have um, – some music going on in the street. It's just going to be like a block party, but um, get to see the beautiful model homes, maybe get some decorating ideas, Mm -hmm. get to taste some wonderful wines and spirits and signature cocktails, and just a fun Sunday afternoon. In between the the highlight is Taste of Savannah. What are we what are we expecting with Taste of Savannah this year? So we uh, thankfully are experiencing record ticket sales. So I I'm pretty confident that we're going to be selling out. I know we are going to be selling out this time next week. Okay. Uh, lots of events. So if anybody's on the fence, I would suggest you might want to buy your tickets. Um, once the events sell out, there are really only a couple of ways to get some tickets to events. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got some package deals this year okay. where we've set aside some tickets to the VIP lounge. VIP lounge will sell out probably on Monday. That okay. We're that close. So we will um, we'll have the packages still available, but that will be the only way you can actually buy tickets then to those events that have sold out. So um, I would suggest that, you know, a lot, you know, Savannah's notorious for waiting until the last minute to see how the weather is going to be. Um, I would say, you know, I, I had to turn away so many people at the gate last year and year before that, you know, drove from Jacksonville or drove okay. from Hilton Head and, you know, were very disappointed, but we yeah. can't, we only have so much glassware. We, yeah. you know, we do beautiful crystal souvenir glass and once we're out of them, we're out of them and yeah. we can't, you know, we can't do that. So we have, um, some unbelievable uh, vendors this year. We've got over 400 varieties of beverage. Mm -hmm. We've got a record number of restaurants, um, lots of restaurants that are coming in from other areas. So that's kind of exciting too. And we also um, have three stages where if you actually sit in the audience and listen to the presentation, you'll get to taste some amazing food. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got one uh, session on oysters, so it'll be Low Country Oysters mm-hmm. uh, from Hudson Seafood in Hilton Head and uh, Lucky Rooster in Hilton Head, too. So right. they're going to do some o- oysters in a variety of ways. Right. Um, some people are fans, some people aren't. But then we I'm also a fan have the. And I'm now really. <laughs> The Georgia Grown stage will have um, uh, four chefs on that stage. Uh, the Big Green A Grilling Gurus, that's the stage to check out. And they have a huge activation area where they have plantation hardware come in and activate for them. So they're cooking the entire day. So when you go to Taste of Savannah, you actually have to purchase you know, tickets, food coins to, to buy your food. But all the beverages are, are you know, free with the ticket, um, the souvenir glass. and But... Um, Plantation hardware is always cooking taste bites for everybody, and so it's a very popular area. Uh, pizzas, I, I've never seen pizzas disappear so fast in my life. Um, <laughs> I got, well, I've got young kids. Believe me, I've seen them disappear really fast. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, we can't have kids, but um, the, it'd go even faster. <laughs> The the new area, too, for us is the Sparkling Garden, which is amazing in the blacksmith shop. The VIP lounge has kind of doubled in size. It's just a great day. We've extended, extended
extended the hours from 12 to 4. So um, a lot of people were, you know, saying, well, why can't we have lunch here? Well, well, you can now. So we've extended the hours. And it's great for the restaurants because they're selling their food. So that'll be good for them. And uh, hopefully, you know, knock on wood, it's a beautiful day. And it's uh, it's another huge success. I'm sure it will be. Difference Makers podcast to remind you about our other regular podcasts, such as the At Savannah Opinion Commute, hosted by yours truly with a new episode that posts every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The commute is the easiest way to keep up with the latest news and happenings that Savannians are talking about. Search for The Commute with At Savannah Opinion on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. Episodes are also available through the savannahnow.com website at savannahnow.com slash podcast. You can also check out our other podcasts, such as Georgia Southern Extra, with its focus on Georgia Southern football, the Do Savannah podcast, with its emphasis on local arts and entertainment, and the daily See You in the Morning podcast that offers a roundup of the day's headlines. Another issue that's that's kind of hot with food festivals, food and wine festivals right now, is how the chefs are treated. And right. I know that you guys always have uh, chefs come back year after year and you're in demand. What are you doing different that maybe is not happening elsewhere? Yeah, it's really interesting. A very hot topic right now. Um, Hannah Raskin, a reporter for the Post and Courier, wrote a, a really detailed story about you know how festivals are taking advantage of chefs, essentially. Um, and she and I actually spoke about this last week. We do a really good job of treating our chefs well, that not only uh, our local chefs, but our guest and visiting chefs. We, tr- we cover all their accommodations and travel. Uh, we give them all market basket credits, or we cover the food. We actually, um, you know, depending on, on the chef's kind of life kind of cycle you know if they if they have a chef a chef with family and kids and they you know they can't bring their kids to savannah while they're busy working it but they want to come back to savannah with their wife for a vacation or they want to bring the kids back um to, especially like to hilton head seafood festival mm-hmm. we create deferred vacations we just did that for Devusky island in fact alexander smalls our big you know talent said jana can't wait to come back on my time to Devusky. Mm-hmm. so i think those kinds of things in lieu of saying here you know, here's two thousand dollars. Can you come to Savannah Food and Wine? We've never paid anybody a cash stipend to attend the festival, but we will bend over backwards to have them come back and enjoy the city. And you know, uh, we have so many partners that want to see that happen. And you know, if 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 a pretty famous chef wants to come back to Savannah, I think it's an opportunity to say, okay, well, you know, this is a great location for a restaurant. Right. So it's an yeah. economic development engine too to you know get them to fall in love with the city. Yeah, and that's interesting because culinary explosion in Savannah the last couple of years. I think Food and Wine Festival might have a little bit of something to do with I that. I think right? so. I like to think so because you know it's 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 really all about the regional spotlight, mm-hmm. and it shifts as we all know. You know, it, it New Orleans is always going to be hot. Charleston will be hot, but Savannah is getting hotter, mm-hmm. so it's kind of cool. Many of the chefs in town do participate in one form or another. Correct? Right. Yeah. So a lot of restaurants, and I'll, I always use Noble Fair as an example because they're too small to participate in Taste of Savannah, mm-hmm. but they love doing the speakeasy. Right. So that's an event where they can participate, but it's not overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And uh, Circa 
1875 and La Scala, same thing. You know, they they love doing that event because they get to be part of the festival, but it's not, you know, 5,000 people on Saturday. Yeah, you're not, yeah, working several days in advance and trying to run a business. And staffing a booth. And it's really challenging. I mean, I know, um, you know, just uh, uh, the bigger restaurants and hotels, just having staff to be able to do a booth on Saturday and run weddings and whatever, Mm -hmm. it's it's a challenge. Mm That's a good segue to talk a little bit more in depth about food and wine festivals. I really think that the last, you probably know this better than I do, the last 10 or 15 years I've seen an explosion. I think everybody talks about Aspen and and maybe some uh, New Orleans and some other ones. But what have you seen over the years in terms of how food and wine festivals have evolved and more importantly, why have they become such a big deal? So I think probably on every... um VCB, Convention and Visitors Bureau's, you know, objectives and goals for the year is is to, um, you know, uh, activate culinary tourism. Mm -hmm. And these festivals are great ways to do it. Um, Just saying that you have a festival and creating a festival doesn't necessarily mean it's going to achieve the goals and objectives of making the destination a culinary place. Mm -hmm. You've got to have the people that are are dedicated to seeing that happen. You've got to have the restaurant partners that are vested in the city and know that it's a you know it's getting ready to bust open. Boom, boom. Um, I think that it's it takes a lot more authenticity mm-hmm. in terms of the culinary scene mm-hmm. than just to create an event to to bring in tourists. Uh, you know, uh. it people really want to go. They want to meet. You know. Mashama, and then mm. they want to taste her food. Yeah, so, Mashama Bailey over yeah, there. Right? Yeah. yeah. Interesting to me is how it has evolved. I grew up rurally, and every little town where I grew up had their own little festival. You know, the one town had the popcorn festival, the right. one town had the bratwurst festival. <laughs> Down in the big city, they had a rib festival. Nowadays, those are still, those still exist. Those are still great. But it seems like the trend is, is more toward high cuisine and, and really, really good culinary food is that all tied to the whole idea of of the shift from it being a community event to being more of a tourism driven event i think it's a you know i i like to think of the smart festivals probably do a good mix of that Mm -hmm. because it it all boils down to um you know what what is it that people are coming to experience when they attend and if it's if it's just you know all high-end culinary then nobody's going to want to do that. They mm-hmm. want to be able to, you know, um, go try Nairobi's grits and whatever while they're in the city. I think mm-hmm. that it needs to be a great mix. I think it just needs, it does boil down to just being authentic. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, are very fortunate that we've got um, the bounty of the low country at our mm-hmm. door to have fresh shrimp and to have oysters, you know, right off the boat and, um have fish that's fresh and 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 those mm-hmm. kinds of things that people don't get the, and I and I, that's what I experienced when I was in Atlanta mm-hmm. that I just didn't have that anymore which mm-hmm. you know once you do taste that you you want to come back <laughs> you've gotten around to a lot of festivals I'm sure what ideas have you seen that you really liked whether you've applied them here or not is there, is there anything that really stands out from from your travels and attending other festivals I would love um, you know I'd love to be able to see us utilize there's a lot of expense that goes into creating taste of a savannah just the Mm -hmm. tenting and Mm -hmm. everything Mm -hmm. Um, my goal has always been to figure out a way 
to come up with an event that's going to use the same equipment, you know, maybe Thursday through Sunday there. Kind of like what Charleston does. They have, you know, they've got the same tents and they'll rotate people out. Mm -hmm. But um, we just don't have the bandwidth because people that are here for the festival festival traveling, they want to get out of town on Sunday. And the locals are probably, you know, they've already attended on Saturday. They're not going to come back. We just don't have the population center to support doing something that like that yet. Mm-hmm. But I'd love to I'd love to see that happen. I mean, I have tons of ideas for events. Um, I think it's just, you know, what makes sense for us as an organization. Um, it's a very small organization. So we, we can't take on too much and still deliver the quality that we want. How important is the entertainment angle? I know some places have big concerts and some places are a little bit more low key. That obviously plays into the whole environment around. Yeah, them. I'd love to. I, we've talked um, about um, doing some entertainment yeah. uh, as part of the festival on Saturday. Right now, we don't need it. You know, yeah. people are so uh, focused on being able to try, you know, uh, a, a, a signature cocktail or try somebody's dish that they heard was, you know, the best at the festival. Um, so it's it's something that we don't need on Saturday, but that could be something, that could be like a Saturday night concert eventually. Yeah, eat and mingle is yeah. kind of the, yeah. the model now. Before I let you go, I'm a bit of a marketing wonk, so I want to I want to take you back, make you put on your marketing hat again. And obviously, working in residential real estate and marketing 10, 15, 20 years ago was newspaper driven and print driven and direct mail. And I, I'd just be interested to hear your perspective of how the marketing channels have changed over time, and uh, whether it's do you, do you feel they have more reach now that it's online and everything else or or is it less personal what just kind of what your thoughts are on that idea so um i've i've always been a proponent uh that it it needs to be a a really strategic mix of traditional media as well as non-traditional media and as far as non-traditional media you know that's everything from podcasts to um digital ads you know that will follow you everywhere but i think that you know, for us, it's it's experimenting to figure out what works and what doesn't work. Yeah. And we've got a, you know, a very limited budget. Thankfully, we've got great media partners like Savannah Morning News uh, that, you know, we work with to extend that media budget. But, you know, it's it's there's nothing for me, there's nothing more tangible than picking up the paper and, you know, being able to look at, well, what's the schedule going to be for Taste of Savannah? I don't want to look at it on my phone. You know, I want to see the map. I want to see who's there. Uh, maybe I'm a dinosaur. Well, I know I am. But... Um, I think that, you know, it's, it's really um, a, just a strategic mix. And depending on what, you know, what you're trying to market, right. I think this strategy works for us. Right. It could be totally different for a car dealer, you know, right. Right. but um, this yeah. works for us. Yeah. Did it push you out of your comfort zone as, as these different mediums evolved? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was adapt or, adapt or die? Yes. <laughs> I'm still adapting. <laughs> yes. yes, I think we all are as we sit here in a studio doing something that I never thought I would have done <laughs> 10 years ago. But, uh, anyway, Jan Gorley with the Savannah Food and Wine Festival, thanks for coming in and, and sharing some thoughts with us this year, and best of luck on the festival. And we look forward to that uh, Labor Day craft beer Thank you, extravaganza Adam. next year. Thank you so much.
thanks to Jan Gorley for sharing her story on Difference Makers. Thanks also to our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Tap into the Difference Makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders, such as breast cancer survivor and the woman behind Margie's Law, Margie Singleton, as well as the Georgia Ports Authority's Griff Lynch and Chatham County District Attorney Meg Heap. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Our next episode will post November the 15th. Thank you for listening.